Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. In the early 1930s, bootleggers and mobsters were glamorized in the media as charismatic outlaws. Prohibition was deeply unpopular with the general public, so criminals who provided alcohol were considered heroes by many, and their lawlessness was cheered on by the American public. These criminals came from all kinds of backgrounds and used their wits to rise from rags to riches. In a way, they represented a distorted version of the American dream by pulling themselves up by their bootstraps but using crime to do so. But gangsters were far from the scrappy underdogs that the public imagined them to be. Thousands of people died at the hands of these out-of-control criminals. They were powerful, ruthless, and murderous. Nevertheless, gang leaders like Jack Legs Diamond and Al Capone became folk heroes in the American imagination. By the time he was 33, Jack had survived four attempts on his life. So it was no wonder that he felt invincible. But Jack couldn't stay bulletproof forever. And his fifth brush with death would prove to be his last. This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case. You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our final episode on the mysterious shooting of Jack Legs Diamond. Last week, we explored Jack's rise as a notorious gangster in New York City. After four failed assassination attempts, the public started to think of him as unkillable. But this week, we'll cover Jack's brutal murder and the many possible motives for the shooting. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. On December 17, 1931, in a small courthouse in Troy, New York, 34-year-old Jack Diamond sat at the defense table, awaiting a verdict. Jack stood accused of kidnapping and assaulting two men. 
Jack knew he was guilty. He had indeed kidnapped and tortured the two plaintiffs who worked for an opposing bootlegging operation. Jack wasn't about to let anyone else muscle in on his territory, but he couldn't exactly use that defense with the jury. Jack fidgeted at the front of the court. Underneath his tough guy exterior, Jack was a bundle of nerves. Finally, the jury came back with its verdict. Jack braced for the worst. The foreman stood up and announced, not guilty. A devilish smile crossed Jack's face. Once again, Jack had escaped the claws of justice. He turned and shook his lawyer's hand, a man who was just as slick and corrupt as Jack himself. Jack's 31-year-old wife, Alice, got up from her seat in the audience, ran over to the defense table and gave him a big kiss. Alice was overjoyed, but Jack tried to hide his emotions. The press was already surrounding him and his wife, and he didn't like to give the papers anything to talk about. Even still, reporters were quick to telegram their offices about the trial's verdict. Just hours later, the Literary Digest ran this headline on their front page. Gang law beats state law in the Diamond case. The press knew that Jack was guilty. It seemed everyone but the jury knew the truth. In actuality, Jack had likely bribed or intimidated a few jurors into voting in his favor. The jury tampering worked, and Jack was free to go. Just moments after the verdict was read, Jack and Alice walked out of the courtroom along with their chauffeur, John Storer. As they walked the few blocks to the taxi, John noticed a car that seemed suspicious. Hey, Jack, that car over there? That plate has Brooklyn tags. (laughs) Maybe it's a fan of mine from the big city. Maybe. Or maybe this car's following you. Kid, I just gotta quit it. Stop bringing down the mood. So I shouldn't worry about an out-of-town gunman? (laughs) Haven't you heard? Legs Diamond is bulletproof. Jack was too happy to be worried, even though he probably should have been. In his long career as a bootlegger and racketeer, he had made many enemies. Dozens of mob bosses and police officers wanted him dead. When Jack got into the taxi, he was still in high spirits. He asked John to take him and Alice to Young's Cafe, a speakeasy in nearby Albany. Jack wanted a few drinks to celebrate. At Young's Cafe, Jack partied with his wife and several of their close friends. The only person who wasn't at the speakeasy was Jack's mistress, Kiki Roberts. She was waiting patiently for Jack to slip out of the celebration to come and visit her. Just before 1 a.m. on December 18th, Jack made up an excuse to leave. Alice, there you are. Jack, come dance with me. Uh, Later, honey. I I just got a call. You know, Fred needs to see me for a bit. Uh, Can it wait? We're celebrating. I'll be back in half an hour. You can come with me if you want. Nah, I'm going to keep drinking. I'll see you soon. You bet. When Jack stepped out into the cold winter air, he asked his chauffeur, John, to take him to Kiki's hotel. Jack had John wait in the car as he went inside to celebrate with his mistress. Two hours later, John was still waiting. He finally got up the courage to go inside and knock on Kiki's door. After a few moments, Jack answered, smelling like alcohol and barely able to stand. 
Jack was tipsy when he came to the hotel, but now he was flat-out drunk. John helped steady his boss as Jack stumbled to the taxi. Instead of going back to the speakeasy, Jack insisted on going to his rooming house on a quiet street in Albany. He'd rented a room in a brownstone on Dove Street for the trial under a false name. The taxi arrived at Dove Street around 4 a.m., The gangster wobbled up to the door, but he was too drunk to get his key to work. John had to assist him with the lock and carry him upstairs to his room. Once John had left, Jack pulled off his chinchilla coat and fedora and then stripped down to his underwear, collapsing into bed. He fell asleep almost immediately. John, meanwhile, locked the brownstone's door and headed back to Young's Café. As he drove off, he failed to notice a suspicious-looking maroon car that was idling nearby. When John arrived at the speakeasy, a furious Alice immediately approached him. Her husband had said he would be gone for less than 30 minutes, and it had been almost four hours. Where is he? Where did you take him? Um... We went to his friend's place. He got drunk and had me take him back to his bed. Don't you kid me. Where is he? He's back in his room, honest. He went to see that woman again, didn't he? I could kill him! It turns out an upset wife was the least of Jack Diamond's worries. At around 5.30 a.m., while Jack was still deep asleep, the maroon sedan pulled up in front of the Dove Street boarding house. Two men in black lumbered out of the car. It took them only a few moments to pick the front door's lock. They crept silently up the stairs. One man was armed with a flashlight, the other with a thirty-eight revolver. They quietly opened Jack's bedroom door and snuck up to his bed. Jack was sleeping peacefully, his body tangled in the sheets. The men weren't satisfied shooting him in his sleep, however. They wanted to send a message. One of the men beamed his flashlight directly onto Jack's face, startling him awake. Just stop shining that thing in my eyes. When Jack saw the two strangers, he tried to run, but they grabbed him before he was even out of bed. What's the big idea? Let go of me! We finally got you, Jack! Hey, hey, you don't have to do this. You want money? I I got money. Yeah, right. You're broke. Everyone knows it. Come on. Please, have mercy. You never gave mercy to no one in your life. Goodbye, Jack. The two assassins raced off into the night. About a mile from Dove Street, they threw the flashlight and the gun out of the car into a roadside ditch. Then the men disappeared no one would ever discover their true identity. Back at the boarding house, the landlady, Laura Wood, had been awoken by the sounds of Jack pleading for his life and the voices of two strange men. She wanted to help, but once she heard gunshots, she stayed hidden in her room. As the murderers ran to the car, Laura looked out her window. She made note that the getaway car was a maroon Packard sedan. Laura tiptoed up to Jack's room. The smell of gunpowder was still heavy in the air. Laura could guess what had happened, but she needed to make sure. 
Opening Jack's door a crack, she peeked in, seeing Jack's limp body on the bed. His head was tilted to the right and covered in blood. Laura ran to the telephone. Jack had warned her several times to never call the police about him. Instead, Laura urgently called Young's Cafe, where she had been told Alice would be all night. Mrs. Diamond, is that you? Mrs. Wood? What? What's going on? Is Jack there? No, he's... Oh, Alice, I'm so sorry. You better hurry over. Is Jack okay? Is he okay? Alice was hysterical, and she hadn't even seen her husband's mangled body yet. John rushed her to Dove Street. Alice ran out of the car and up the stairs of the brownstone, straight to Jack's room. Her worst fears were confirmed as soon as she opened the doors. It was clear her husband was dead, but she wasn't ready to let him go. She climbed into bed with his corpse and began wiping the blood from his face. She cried out in shock. Oh, oh my God! Jack! What, what have they done to you? <laughs> they killed my dear Jack! Someone do something! <laughs> John called for a doctor who arrived an hour later. The doctor confirmed the obvious. Jack was dead. Finally, at around 6.45 a.m. on December 18th, Alice called the police. The investigation into Jack's murder began immediately, but this would not be a simple open-and-shut case. Jack had dozens of powerful enemies, many of whom wanted him dead. Now it was up to the police to figure out who had actually pulled the trigger. Up next, we'll explore the investigation and the intricate web of suspects. Hi there, it's Carter from ParCast. If you haven't had a chance to check out the riveting true crime series Solved Murders, there's no better time to tune in. Throughout the month of August, Solved Murders is featuring four celebrations that took a turn for the deadly in a special series we're calling Party Fowls. From a murder in the New York nightclub scene and a house party gone horribly wrong to a terrifying evening at the Tate residence and a sex party with sinister results, go deeper inside four affairs remembered for all the wrong reasons. And if you like what you hear with party fouls and want to uncover more of history's most captivating cases, be sure to follow Solved Murders on Spotify. There you'll find a new episode released every Wednesday. Solved Murders is a Spotify original from ParCast. Listen free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. And now, back to our story.
Albany police arrived at the crime scene on Dove Street at around 7 a.m. on December 18, 1931. A few hours earlier, 34-year-old Jack Legs Diamond had been murdered in cold blood as he lay on his bed. When four police officers responded to the scene of the crime, the sun had not yet risen. At the top of the staircase, clinging to Jack's bedroom door, Alice screamed out at them frantically. They shot him! My Jackie! My poor boy! Step away from the door, ma'am. We'll take care of things from here. Those monsters! Those absolute villains! Ma'am, step away from the door! Uh, uh, Let go of me! I didn't do it! Leave me alone! They've killed Jack! They've killed him! Alice was dragged away from Jack's bedroom, kicking and screaming. With Jack's grieving wife out of the way, the police could now finally begin searching the crime scene in earnest. But the hunt for clues mostly came up empty-handed. They discovered a bullet hole through the bed frame and two smashed 38 caliber bullets in the bedroom walls. There didn't seem to be much sign of a struggle, which suggested that Jack had been asleep when the murderers had entered his room and was restrained after he woke up. In the absence of clues, the officers would have to rely on witnesses in the boarding house and testimony from those close to Jack. The first two people who needed to be interviewed were Laura Wood and Alice Diamond. Laura confirmed that she had overheard two men speaking to Jack before he died and gave a description of the getaway car, a maroon Packard. Alice was less helpful. At the precinct, she cried uncontrollably. She refused to talk without her lawyer. At around 9 a.m., investigators discovered a 38 pistol and flashlight a mile and a half from the murder scene. The gun was wrapped in a silk handkerchief and appeared to have no fingerprints. While officers continued to search the Dove Street boarding house, journalists swarmed the building looking for a scoop. Jack Legs Diamond's exploits were a constant presence in the news. Details on his death would be sure to sell thousands of papers. The New York Times ran the story of his death on the front page. They did not paint a kind portrait of the dead man. Jack Legs Diamond, human ammunition dump for the underworld, was killed in a cheap rooming house the morning after he was dropped off in a drunken sleep. The New York Sun was even more blunt. His death was sudden, but not a particularly shocking incident. But while journalists condemned Jack Diamond, the public had an odd respect for him. Once they heard the news of Jack's death, Hundreds of people traveled to the murder site, crowding the brownstone steps to pay tribute. The chaos of onlookers made the police's job even tougher than it already was. But despite immense pressure from the press and the public, investigators failed to find any more evidence at the boarding house. They had to rely on more interviews. At the top of the list was Jack's driver, John Storer. Mrs. Diamond told us Jack left to talk to a friend, Fred, at around 1 a.m. the morning he died, and that you drove him. If she said so. And if we talk to Fred, what's he going to say? I don't speak for the man. Look, the way we see it, you were the last person to see Diamond alive. So if I were you, I'd come clean with everything you know. The less you say, 
the easier it is for us to assume you had something to do with it. You can't blame me for trying to keep a dead man's secrets. Jack didn't go see Fred. He went to his dames, Marion, Kiki Roberts. I was parked outside her place for over two hours. What they were doing, I'll leave to your fellow's imagination. John's testimony gave the investigators a much more accurate timeline of Jack Diamond's final night. They set out to find and question Kiki Roberts. Unfortunately, New York Evening Journal managed to find Kiki before the cops. Kiki had traveled to her mother's home in Boston in the early hours of the morning. In her filmed interview with the papers, Kiki claimed to have no knowledge of Jack's murder. So, um, how did you find out Legs had been murdered? When I woke up, I heard the newspaper boys shouting, Extra, extra, Jack Diamond slain. Hmm, well, well, what happened then? I fainted, nearly fell out of the bedroom window. And how are you feeling now? I won't say I'm not torn up, but I won't be beaten down. I'm a pretty girl, an ambitious girl. Maybe I'll go back to the stage. While the press was promoting Kiki's star turn, Jack's body lay on the cold slab of an Albany morgue's operating table. The autopsy revealed that Jack had been shot three times, but the first bullet, which entered under his left ear, had likely killed Jack instantly. Beyond the gunshot wounds, the examination revealed that Jack had been in decent health, but was a little underweight due to stress. The pathology report did not find any additional evidence. Trying to make some headway on a suspect list, Albany police put together a list of Jack Diamond's known enemies. But with all the grudges, bad blood, and backstabbing in Jack's career as a bootlegger, the catalog of rivals and foes was overwhelming. Jack once said in a newspaper interview that Irving Bitts and Salvatore Spitali held a grudge against him. Irving and Salvatore had provided Jack with tens of thousands of dollars to secure a drug deal in Europe. The drug deal had gone bust, but Jack allegedly never paid back the racketeers. A huge debt like this was a good reason for revenge. Other police departments also linked Irving and Salvatore to other attempts on Jack's life. New York City police reportedly believed the men were responsible for the Monticello Hotel assassination attempt. The Catskills police believed they could be guilty of the Aratoga Inn shooting. They were never officially charged for either incident, and as it turns out, connecting them to Jack's murder would be just as difficult. Salvatore Spitali had a solid alibi for the night of the shooting. He was at a hockey game at Madison Square Garden all night, and he made sure to profess his innocence to the papers before the police could even question him. Sorry, Mr. Spitali, but I have to ask, did you kill Jack Diamond? Don't make me laugh. I never harmed a hair on that fella's head. I've shown a lot of restraint, you know, considering how much money he's cost me. Are you upset about Jack Diamond's death, Mr. Spitali? Oh, we all know Diamond was on borrowed time. He had it coming to him. So you're saying you had a grudge against Legs? He never did anything to me, you understand? And I had no reason to want him knocked off. But that guy didn't have enough friends to use as pallbearers. He was the most overrated guy I ever knew. What do you mean by that? The newspapers built him into a great big shot when he was just a punk. And the worst part of it was he read those papers and believed everything you fellas said about him. You know what I think? 
they shouldn't lock up the fellow who killed Diamond. No, they should give him a big reward, because he performed a real service to the community. Despite Salvatore Spitali's harsh words about Jack Diamond, there was no evidence to officially link him or his business partner Irving Bitts to Jack's murder. Police began to investigate other possible suspects outside of gang rivals, including Jack's own wife, Alice Diamond. At the time of Jack's death, Alice was fully aware of his longtime affair with showgirl Kiki Roberts. While Alice stuck by Jack's side during his many brushes with both death and the law, she did resent his adultery. Jack's chauffeur, John Storer, claimed that Alice cried on his shoulder when she learned that Jack had run off with Kiki and left her at the speakeasy alone. (laughs) I can't take it any longer. I can't take it any longer. (laughs) The both of them run off and I'm just left here. (laughs) Like I was some kind of nothing. (laughs) Alice was one of the only people who knew where Jack was staying when he was in Albany. It's entirely possible she tipped off other gangsters about his location in an act of revenge. That being said, at least publicly, Alice acted like a very mournful widow. In fact, she was one of the only people in Jack's life who even seemed to care that he died. On December 22, 1931, four days after Jack had been killed, Alice buried her husband at a cemetery in Queens. Almost no one who had actually known Jack in real life attended the funeral. Many of the attendants were actually just members of the public, there to gawk at the proceedings. Investigators, meanwhile, still struggled to find Jack's murderer. Or at least it seemed like they were struggling... Rumors started swirling that the Albany police weren't actually investigating Jack's murder. Instead, some believed that they were covering it up. Up next, we'll scrutinize the police and try to solve the case ourselves. And now, back to our story. In the spring of 1932, rumors were still swirling around Jack Legg's Diamond's murder. Speculation took the place of facts in many papers, even in the normally unbiased New York Times. In one article, the Times apparently suggested that infamous gangster Al Capone might have been the one who ordered the hit on Jack Diamond. Jack Diamond's dramatic end revived the story here that Al Capone's gang had long been gunning for legs. The fanciful tale dates back to 1930, when Capone was said to have given $75,000 to Diamond. The rumor has it that Legs, as ever reluctant to give up cash in hand, returned only $20,000 to the Capone syndicate, thereby incurring an enmity that proved fatal. There was absolutely no evidence that Capone and Jack had ever even met, but the media was desperate to give the public any update in the Jack Diamond case. The police were getting nowhere, and readers were still hungry for details. Meanwhile, the Albany police were still actively investigating and following leads. At least, that's what they claimed to the press. Prior to his death, Jack had been shouldering his way into Albany, trying to bring his bootlegged alcohol into the city. 
In a way, Jack's death must have been a relief to Albany's police officers. In a press conference, New York City's police commissioner declared that he was not sorry that Jack Diamond was dead. I'm not surprised by Leg's death. He's no loss to the community, not to this community anyhow. I expected to see him taken long before this. I expected he would be bumped off and every time he came to the city I put a heavy guard out to watch him. That's the way with all of them. Police were often indifferent to mob deaths. It is entirely possible that Albany's police commissioner had the same dismissive attitude towards Jack as New York City's commissioner. That being said, there's a big distinction between an indifferent and lackadaisical investigation and a purposefully botched one. And in the years since Jack's murder, several interviews have suggested that Albany police officers were directly involved in the killing. One of these interviews was with Dan O'Connell, the head of Albany County's extraordinarily powerful Democratic Committee political machine. You hear about the mafia and the rackets moving into other cities, but you won't hear about Albany. You know why? We kept them out from the start. You've got to have a good police department, and we have one. Legs Diamond called up one day and said he wanted to go into the insurance business here. He was going to sell strong-arm protection to the merchants. I sent word to him that he wasn't going to do any business in Albany, and we didn't expect to see him in town the next morning. He never started anything here. Officer William Fitzpatrick finished Legs. The chief of police was afraid of him, but Fitzpatrick wasn't afraid. Several Albany reporters corroborated Dan's version of events. They had also heard rumors that the police were involved in Jack Diamond's death. In fact, some of them believe that Dan O'Connell was actually the one who ordered the hit. Dan was the most powerful man in Albany at the time and was dedicated to keeping gangsters out of the city. He also seemed to have a lot of inside information on Jack's death. It is entirely possible that Dan ordered the murder because Jack didn't respect his order to keep out of Albany. We'll never know for certain whether the police were connected to Jack's death, because the official investigation files mysteriously disappeared in the intervening years. One of Albany's local papers claimed the documents were stolen. Ultimately, Albany's district attorney never charged anyone for Jack Diamond's murder. The testimony in the case was inconsistent, and the evidence was scarce. The police never found out who killed Jack Diamond, and that mystery persists to this day. Jack Legs Diamond is just one of many gangsters from the time who were gunned down. Many of those murders were never solved, whether due to corruption or fear of retribution. Those close to Jack would never get closure, Not that his mistress, Kiki Roberts, seemed to mind. A few weeks after Jack's death, Kiki Roberts debuted a new vaudeville act at the Academy of Music in Manhattan. Posters all across the city promoted the show with the phrase, See Kiki, the Gangster's Girl. The spectacle was a success, and soon Kiki was touring all over America with the act, using Jack's death to drum up ticket sales. But Alice was not about to let Kiki have the last word on her dead husband. She quickly put together her own show about Jack Diamond. The show premiered at the Central Theater in the Bronx to middling success. 
However, Alice did seem genuine in her attempt to honor her slain husband. I want to make people see that Jack was not the person he has been pictured. I want them to understand the sort of man he really was. Jack was never a gangster. He wouldn't know how to be. Grease paint and footlights won't lessen my grief, but having something to do will give me less time to think about it all. Alice's depiction of her husband was extraordinarily earnest, but also completely skewed. Jack Diamond was not a gentle man. He was a ruthless gangster. Alice's show soon went bust after it began to tour. She was penniless and forced to move in with relatives in Queens. Then on June 30th, 1932, tragedy struck. Alice Diamond was shot to death in the kitchen of her Queens home. Like her husband, a gun had been pressed against her head before it fired off around. Alice's death also went unsolved. Some people believe that Alice knew who killed her husband and was murdered to keep the secret from getting out. Even in death, Jack Legs Diamond managed to keep making the papers. In the 20 years after his murder, his name was mentioned in well over 100 articles in the New York Times alone. Anytime a gangster was mysteriously murdered, there was always some tenuous connection to Jack Diamond. But despite his massive fame in the 1920s and 30s, Jack's star eventually began to fade. Other gangsters' names live on in America's cultural zeitgeist, like Al Capone and Bugsy Siegel. But Jack Legs Diamond has mostly become a footnote. Every once in a while, however, his memory is revived. In the 1960s, Jack became the subject of a B-movie gangster flick, The Rise and Fall of Jack Diamond. In 1975, Jack became the protagonist of the fictionalized novel Legs. And nearly 15 years later, Jack was the star of a massive Broadway musical flop titled Legs Diamond. But even though there were times when interest in Jack Diamond's murder was revitalized, no one has been able to definitively solve the case. So, with all that said, I believe Salvatore Spitali and Irving Bitts were somehow tied to Jack's death. Not only did Jack owe the two a massive amount of money, Salvatore and Irving were openly hostile towards Jack before his death. I see why you think that, but I actually disagree. I think the theory that the police were involved makes more sense. The investigation into Jack's death seemed half-hearted, almost as if the police knew who the murderers were all along. Whatever the truth may be, Jack Legs Diamond will go down as one of the most famous gangsters in American history. While his fame has since dwindled, the Prohibition gangster still holds a special place in America's heart. Bootleggers are a part of America's cultural fabric as a symbol of rebellion against authority. Thanks again for tuning into Unsolved Murders. We'll be back next Tuesday with a new episode. For more information on Jack Diamond, amongst the many sources we used, we found Anatomy of a Gangster, Jack Legs Diamond, by Gary Levine, extremely helpful to our research. 
You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Matt Hartman, with writing assistance by Giles Hofseth, fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez, and research by Mickey Taylor. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Jerry Courtney Austin, Tom Bauer, Tiana Camacho, Ellie Schiff, and Julian Smith. Unsolved Murder stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. Hi, listeners, it's Carter. Here's a quick reminder to check out the Solved Murders four-part special Party Fouls. Every Wednesday in August, take a closer look at four celebrations that ended in horrific fashion. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Solved Murders. Listen free only on Spotify.